Father, thank you for the wonderful, marvelous reality of the cross and that God put on flesh and that God substituted into our place in the form of the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you for newness of life in Christ. We thank you for the blood of Christ that cleanses us from all sin. What a good reminder on this Sanctity of Human Life Sunday. Father, if there are those here today who need to lay their burdens down at the cross, would you show them how to do that? As a church, Father, would you take your word now and bring clarity to our thinking that we would do our job that we're called to, of being light in a dark world and of making disciples through the truth. It's in Jesus' name we ask these things. Amen. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. I ask you to turn your attention right up to the screen because there it is. I call it the den of death. It's the floor this week of the New York State House where their legislature there together passed Bill 3828. If you've been watching the news, you're aware of this. There they passed this bill that made it legal for doctors in the state of New York and other health care professionals like midwives and physician's assistants to perform abortions up to birth for any reason. It's hard to wrap your mind around such a thing that people who are supposed to be well-educated, people who are clothed and in their right mind, supposedly, would get up, go to work, and make it legal to rip from the womb the unborn. It's a difficult subject today, but it's the reality of our world. The church must address it because um, we need to know how to think, and we need to know how to teach our children, and we need to know that in many ways we're losing the battle. That is exemplified in the next screen where upon the conclusion of the vote, those in the chamber leaped to their feet and cheered in a standing ovation. And then it was with great haste that they hurried out into the hallways so that they could get in front of microphones and they could there um, identify themselves and their name and their position with such legislation as though they had accomplished some great feat. And with joy and delight and smiles and laughter and praise and victory chants that we can remove the unborn and murder them in their mother's womb right up to the day of their birth. And that is a good decision. Now, I'm confident that not everybody in the state of New York celebrated that. In fact, I saw uh, a picture that um, I thought was interesting, and um, I don't know the man, but he owns a bookstore. Uh, it's a used bookstore in Syracuse, New York, called The Book Scout. His name is John Speed. You might look him up and uh, try to uh, patronize his store. He must be a good man because he immediately closed his store, putting the sign on the door that said, Closed today. Today is a day of mourning in New York State. We will not collect sales tax today for a tyrannical government that murders babies. We will resume regular business tomorrow, collecting sales tax under duress and end abortion now. I don't know about you, but even when I see stories like this, and I don't get the logic, but it bothers me that 
that I'm even not more bothered by it. I checked this morning the abortion clock. There is a website that is, uh, la- that is um, called numbersofabortions.com, numbersofabortions.com. Uh, it's an ongoing ticking clock that never stops, and it tallies the statistics on abortions both in the United States and around the world. And at 7.21 this morning, about as late as I could wait before I had to come down to warm up the choir, at 7.21 this morning on uh, January 27th, Uh, Just um, a few hours into our day, in the USA today, okay, so today in the United States of America, statistically speaking, because I imagine that on Sundays, most abortions do not take place on Sundays, but statistically speaking, according to the website and the abortion clock, we had since midnight last night to 721 a.m. this morning, 785 abortions in the United States. It's hard to imagine. To date, this 27 days into the new year, 2019, to date, uh, there have been 67,283 abortions by 721 this morning. 67,283. That's more people than the entire county of Jefferson County, the population of Jefferson County. Since that infamous day in 1973 when our enlightened Supreme Court thought it to be lawful and constitutional for a mother to attack another human being in her womb and remove it and kill it and legalize that action and behavior, knowing all along, listen, it's the elephant in the living room. Everyone knows it's not a massive tissue. Everyone knows it's a separate human being. It has a different genetic code. Everybody knows this. No one denies that. And knowing that to be true, making it legal then to murder a helpless human being. To date, since 1973, in the United States alone, there have been 61,009,315 abortions. Let your mind go around that number as I say it again. 61,009,315 since 1973 until 7.21 a.m. this morning. And so we watch the news and we see stories like what happened in New York today and, or this week and their legislation. We look at the statistics and it's overwhelming. And I worry about myself that I'm not even shedding a tear. Jeremiah wrote this in Jeremiah chapter 9, verse 1. He said, Oh, that my head were waters, and my eyes a fountain of tears, that I might weep day and night for the slain of the daughter of my people. You know, maybe, maybe an appropriate prayer for God's church is that he would break our hearts so that we could weep over such grievous sin in our nation. Maybe you do. I hope you do. I was thinking about the New York legislators, and I was just trying to get my mind around what that looks like, to wake up in the morning and know that you're getting dressed to go to work, and you put your suit on, and you're a man, you put a suit on. I guess women put a suit on. Uh, You're looking in the mirror shaving, or you're putting on your lipstick, and you're thinking about the day, and you recognize today's the day. Today's the day, and, and your heart 
pounds a little bit and you have a little bit of a, uh, an excitement in you and you think to yourself, I get today to go to the floor of the state house and I get to vote to murder unborn babies. What a good day that is. What is it that you're thinking about? What is it that goes through your mind? Are you shaving or putting your lipstick on and are you saying to yourself, how could I make the dumbest decision a person could ever make? How could I be the biggest fool the world has ever known? How could I be empowering murder? Do they think that way? And I think to myself, they don't think that way. I don't think so at all. And I think as a church, we need to pause and we need to remind ourselves of a couple basic fundamental realities. And, and one is this. It is that fish swim, birds fly, dogs bark, and sinners sin. You have to remember that they did not get up and shave and put on their lipstick, and no gender jokes right now, um, in their suit, and prepare to go to work, and, and think to themselves. They, they only thought to themselves that they were making good decisions. They thought that this was good in the name of women's health. That this is a good thing for our society. That this is good for our people. That I am doing what needs to be done. And so I invite you to position your notes and open your Bibles to Genesis chapter 1 as we remind ourselves why we do not think this way. What is it about the believers in Christ and Bible-believing, God-fearing people? What is it about us that we... We can't go there. What is it about it that we don't get that? What is it about our brain that it doesn't even work that way? It has everything to do with a complete different, what we would call a worldview. Kind of a, a theological, philosophical mooring. The foundation upon which you build your life. And if you're God-fearing and you believe in a creator and you believe in the Genesis account, then you can't even think that way. And so I want to remind us today of what we already know, but I want us to help ourselves and help our young people here to understand why we are countercultural. Why is it that we cannot give on this? And we hear conversation, we hear talk, we know that we live in a divided nation. We know that our politicians are as divided as they've ever been. And you hear people, people of goodwill, people who mean well, who say, can't we just come together? Can't we just meet together and, and have compromise and meet on this? Absolutely not. Are you kidding me? Because why? Because it is a moral issue and we didn't make it up. And so I want you to understand a fundamental premise upon which our decision-making is driven and sustained, and it is this truth, as I've said, you already know it, and remind you of what you already know, it is this. It is that we are created in the image of God. Human beings are created in the image of God. And therefore, life, all human life, is sacred. I invite you to open to Genesis chapter 1 as we return to the beginning of our Bibles and we want to review these foundational truths about creation and about God's intention for all things that are living. We're going to learn about grass and crops and trees and canaries and zebras and elephants and people and dogs today. We're going to learn about everything that is living 
because God created it. And I want us to read, to begin with, to lay a foundation for our thinking. I want us to begin with day five of creation in Genesis chapter one, beginning with verse 20. You follow along in your copy of God's word, position your notes with a pen if you like to use those as a listening guide, because uh, we're going to then review parts of this passage and we're going to We're going to click off why it is that being created in the image of God matters. What is it about that that makes human life distinct? And so that we would not murder, and we would not murder at any extremity of life, either the unborn or in their old age, or in forms of weakness, that all human life is precious and sacred because of this image of God in which we are created. So we're on day five, and God is speaking in verse 20 of Genesis chapter 1. And you need to know, if you're new here, that I believe very much that this is how it happened. And that this was a 24-hour day, and that God could speak, and out of nothing, God could make anything he wanted to make. It's the kind of God he is. And he's in the process of creating and modeling for us a seven-day work week, six days to work, one day to rest. And on day five, this is what he said. Verse 20, and God said, let the waters swarm with swarms of living creatures and let birds fly above the earth across the expanse of the heavens. And so God created the great sea creatures and every living creature that moves with which the waters swarm according to their kinds, and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And God blessed them, saying, He gave them a special blessing. Be fruitful and multiply and fill the waters in the seas and let birds multiply on the earth. And there was evening and there was morning, and that was the fifth day. And we don't know how many He created. It implies that it was in multiples because it says swarms and sea creatures. It's possible that he only created a handful to begin with, and then with the blessing, they began to create, and that's what animals have done since creation, and, and, and they repopulate, and they fill their ecosystem area. And God sees it, and it's a good thing. And verse 26, then God said, let us make man in our image. Let us make man Excuse me, verse 24 is where I want to be, right? Verse 24, and God said, let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kinds, livestock and creeping things and beasts of the earth according to their kinds. And it was so, and it is still so today. A grizzly bear never crosses with a zebra. And God made the beasts of the earth according to their kinds and the livestock according to their kinds and everything that creeps on the ground according to its kind. And God saw it all and he said, that is good. And then God said, verse 26, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. And so God created man, humankind, 
in his own image, in the image of God, he created him. And male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heaven and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of the earth and every tree with seed in it, its fruit. You shall have them for food and to every beast of the earth and to every bird of the heavens and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life. I have given every green plant for food and it was so. And God saw everything that he had made and behold, it wasn't just good now. It was very good. And there was evening and there was morning and that was the sixth day. And and that's where we'll conclude our scripture reading for our text today. We're asking ourselves in our study time this morning the significance, the ramification of being created in the image of God. And the first thing I want you to see in our notes, Roman number one, is I want you to see now the biblical, the biblical foundation of human uniqueness. Now, this is somewhat elementary, but it is also very, very necessary. The biblical foundation of human uniqueness It is summed up in the next line. We are created in the image of God, and therefore we are distinct from all others in creation because of how God created us and the intent for humans when he created them. The first thing I want you to see, and this is where the image of God is imprinted upon humankind, is number one, it is the pattern after which we were created. Human beings are unique because of the pattern after which we were created. Notice what he says in verse 26. And it's in the plural, by the way. Notice that God said, let us, we have a triune God. Verse 28, it's going to be singular. So God created man in his own image, in the image of God. So we have one God in the form of three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. They were all present at creation. And then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. And there it is. When it came to humankind, God had a pattern in mind, and his pattern was his own image. Now, theologians talk about what does that entail? What does that mean? I mean, first and foremost, it is is distinct from all other life, and we see that, and that's number letter B, in that we have personhood, okay? We are patterned after the image of God, and we have personhood as opposed to animal life. We are not part of the animal kingdom, all right? We are not just first in the food chain or the top shelf of the food chain, whatever way you want to look at that. Notice what he says in verse 26 again. And so God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them then have dominion. And he goes to great detail to talk about having dominion over all of the animal groupings. He then repeats himself, as I've pointed out in verse 27, and he says, God created man in his own image, and in the image of God, he created him, and male and female created he them. So let's just think about number letter A there, number one on our list of of the distinct uniqueness of how we were created. We are unique in creation as humans because of the pattern being patterned after God himself. That's what it means to be created in the image of God. Okay, so white-tailed deer were not created in the image of God. Oak trees are alive, and they're living, and they can lose their life. 
And sometimes it's sad if you, if you like that oak tree. Sometimes it's good and put your chainsaw to it and saw it into boards and make beautiful bookcases or a desk that you enjoy and becomes an heirloom. But it is distinctly a different kind of life because oak trees and white-tailed deer and zebras and elephants and grizzly bears and penguins were not patterned after God himself. We were, they were not created in the image of God. And so not everybody knows everything about what that means it was interesting to me that one Bible student was suggesting that God knew what Jesus would look like in human form, and so he created humans to look like what Jesus would look like. He would stand erect, have arms, legs, eyes, ears. You say, wait a minute, my bunny rabbit has eyes and ears and a tongue. You see, we would say that mankind is created in the image of God is even reflected, okay, so God can see, so man can see. God can speak, so man speaks. God can hear, so mankind can hear. And yes, I know that animals can see and hear. They, they have a form of communication, but they cannot speak. Uh, I don't know. I think more so it's in the area of the fact that humans have a soul and a spirit and have the capacity to, to live, they will live forever. But we also have a, the ability to reflect the character of God stamped in his image. We reflect the character of God and animals don't do that. So we have, a, we have a framework of morality that is all built on the, on the springing from the character of God. We can love one another in a way that animals don't love you or others. You say, wait a minute, Pastor Van. Oh, wait a minute. My dog loves me like nobody. No, he's loyal to you, but he doesn't love you like that. He's loyal to you. He doesn't love like a human being. It's a different kind of thing. And so you've got... This a capacity to love, a capacity to think, a capacity to reason. You have intellect, you have emotion, you have will. All of the defining characteristics of personhood that make you distinct from animals. And so the very first thing, when we read the creation account, we recognize that we're created in the image of God, and that means that we are patterned after God himself. We are not little gods. And his attributes that are innate to godness, okay, omnipotence, is all-powerful, omnipresence, okay, omniscience, all-knowingness. We can't really reflect those. Those are metaphysical. They're outside this world. We can't. We're trapped inside a physical world. And we call those, um, those are non-communicable attributes. They don't communicate down to us. But God has many attributes God is love, God is peace, God is joy, God is kindness. And it's all reflected in his instruction to us in his word. And we reflect those kinds of attributes and characters in a way that an animal does not. And so we are patterned after him and we have distinct personhood. And what I mean by that then, when we look at the next point and we look at verse 26, and let them, immediately he says... You are made in my image, our image, and then let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds and over the heavens and over livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. And, and the first thing we want to see in that is what I've already said, letter B, is personhood. We are not animals. We're different. Secondly, in the second part of the verse, letter C, is we are put in a position. We have a position that animals do not have. We are positioned over animals, all right? 
I want you to notice that he repeats that in verse 28 as well. And God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. And then he uses two actually military terms. Look what he says. Multiply and fill the earth, the end of verse 28, middle of verse 28, and subdue it. That means to conquer. It's actually a military term. To conquer and to have dominion over. That means to rule over. What? The fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, over every living thing that moves on the earth. We are allowed to conquer and to rule over. Now, let me make something clear. To have dominion over something, okay, doesn't give the right to be cruel. Doesn't mean you can waste. It doesn't mean you destroy needlessly. But to have dominion over means that you can, you can take the created world and study it. That's what science is. Science is the capacity for mankind to have dominion over God's created world. Technology, then, is the ability to take God's created world that we learn about through science and put it to use for us. That's technology. And so God intended for us to develop and study his earth and use it. And that's why, though a tree is living, you don't get up in a tree and live in a tree when the bulldozer man comes to push it over to preserve the tree because I love this tree. I love this tree. And it's precious to me. You can love the tree and be precious to you, but God put it there for you to use. And you might strategically place it on the homestead so that it stays there for 135 years in beauty next to the house. Or you might, like I said, saw it down and make a bookcase out of it. Or you might saw it up and put it in the stove when it blows over in the storm and burn it and create BTUs that got embedded in that tree. Go figure that out. You don't walk into a restaurant with a chicken under your arm wailing, I love this chicken, don't eat this chicken. What is that? That is somebody did not wake up in the morning and try to be stupid. They're just really confused. They think that all life is equal and all life is not equal because a chicken was not patterned after God. It does not have personhood and it was not positioned equal to or above humans. And humans were positioned to have dominion over chickens. That's why you can take their unborn and crack them open in a hot frying pan Put a little Miracle Whip on the bread, sear it in the pan, throw a little bacon grease in there and have one of the finest sandwiches a man could ever eat. In fact, I'm getting ready for that pretty soon here. And you can make an egg sandwich. And it's not wrong, it's good. And you can take that chicken when company comes and and you can whack his head and pluck his feathers and put him in the pot and we can all enjoy dinner and you can go... Pull the fine feathers and make a pillow out of it and sleep on it at night. You have dominion over. You rule over. You don't get to be mean to the chicken. You don't kick it. That's just downright cruel. That's not Christ-like at all. But you are given a position to rule over. Notice that we are also, letter D, given the mandate for population. Population. How is human life distinct from all other life that God created? When he created man, he told man to populate the earth. He didn't tell. He told everything else to reproduce and multiply and fill the earth. But he told man in a very specific way to fill the earth, verse 28, and then subdue it and have dominion over it. And that's what we see, don't we? We see humans everywhere around the earth. There are more humans, I think, 
Somebody's going to come up and say, man, there are more grasshoppers of the locust kind. There's a billion of them. I don't know, but I think there's more humans than elephants. There's more humans than grizzly bear. There's more humans than penguins. See, God mandated that we fill the earth and use his earth. Humans were put in a position and were mandated to populate. And you do know, by the way, that we're not struggling with overpopulation. You said, Pastor Frank, how do you know that? I've studied it. <laughs> I've flown from Dallas to Dulles and Dulles to Dallas first. And I looked out the window and it's almost all empty. And tomorrow morning I'm going to drive to Beckley and it's going to almost be all empty between here and there. And I've flown out of Johannesburg, South Africa up into Blantyre, Malawi and it's really empty for hours of flying. So God made the earth to sustain people and to have dominion and to populate it. And we are distinct from all animal life and all plant life. Notice then letter E, and I've alluded to this already, but there is a power. There is a power then that he mandates that humans have a prerogative. And maybe prerogative is a better word than power even, um, unless you can think of another P word that means you can eat one another. And that is that over the fish of the sea. In verse 29, and God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth, he gave it, gave it to animals and every bird of the heavens and everything that creeps on the earth. Everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. But this also reminds us then of something that happened right after the flood. And if you turn to Genesis chapter 9, okay, Genesis chapter 9, keep in mind then that the earth populated, all right? It became a very wicked place. And until the flood was over in Genesis, it starts in Genesis chapter 6, by Genesis chapter 9 it's over, and we have given to us a very similar mandate given to Noah than was given to Adam. All right, and he tells, God blessed Noah and his sons, and he said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. See, we're down to one family and one set of kids, three sons and their wives. Now, until this time, Man was mandated to go ahead and plant grains and harvest fruit from tree, fruit-bearing trees and eat it. Other animals were allowed to eat it as well. But man was given a mandate, a power to eat these things. So you could take something that was alive. You walk up to a peach tree and it's alive. It's got nice green leaves on it. It's got beautiful lush peaches on it. And it's a living organism. But you can pull it off and kill it, and you can digest it in your system and really kill it. And you're allowed to do that. Until the flood, mankind that populated the earth was, was primarily vegetarian. It's possible that they killed animals and ate them, but they did not have God's permission yet then. In Genesis chapter 9 now, something else happens, and he ratchets up the distinction of human life over animal life, even more so. He says, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Verse 2, the fear of you and the dread of you shall be upon every beast of the earth and upon every bird of the heavens, upon everything that creeps on the ground and all the fish of the sea. Into your hand they are delivered. Okay? There's a power that given to man. I'm going to give you these animals. They're in your hand. Every moving thing that lives shall be food for you. So you can eat chocolate-covered grasshoppers. 
Every moving thing that lives shall be food for you. And as I gave you the green plants, that's a reflection back to Genesis chapter 1. As I gave you the green plants, I now, he says, um, as I gave you the green plants, I give you everything. But you shall not eat flesh with its life, that is, its blood. And for your lifeblood, I will require a reckoning from every beast... I will require it, and from man, from his fellow man, I will require a reckoning for the life of man. Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. For God made man in his own image. And you be fruitful and multiply and increase greatly on the earth and multiply in it. You see, there was a specific power given to humans that was not given to animals. And it is the right to kill them and eat them. That is one way being created in the image of God makes me absolutely distinct from animal life that was not created in the image of God. Anything created in the image of God, patterned after God himself, is not lawful for food. In fact, it's murder, and if you kill that person, and if you were so disgusting to cannibalize that person, which people do and have done on the earth today, all right, and... If you do that, then your lifeblood is demanded of you. And if you have a bull in the barnyard that gores the farmer to death, the neighbors are supposed to come and kill the animal. And and so you have this whole element here of a right to kill. We have slaughterhouses for cattle. When I grew up outside of Joliet, Illinois, in South Chicago, huge slaughterhouses, box chart boxcar trains came in from all across the Midwest and out West, and they're going to the population centers of, of our big cities, and they run those cattle through. And you have a right to do that. And you go up to the counter at McDonald's and you order a Big Mac, and, and a steer that grew up in Nebraska got slaughtered in Illinois and frozen somewhere else and thawed out and put on a frying pan in Shepherdstown, West Virginia, gets put on your sandwich, and you eat that dead cow. And that, right there, is a huge reality of the distinct difference of why we don't kill babies, because we're not animals. And animals were not created in the image of God. Right? And so he's given us a specific power to be able to do that. By the way, there are people then that will argue the way God really intended us to eat was back in Genesis chapter 1. Seeds, and they've got these creation diets that you're on, and it's all good. You can do that if you want to. But you can take any living, crawling creature and eat it if you want, Genesis chapter 9. And you are just fine. Okay, there it is. You never eat your neighbor's kid. You got the point. Privilege. This is chapter three. Let's just um, click off the rest here in our minds. You got the point. I'm overkilling it probably. In Genesis chapter three is when man sins. Adam sins. Eve, Adam and Eve are in the garden. Eve is deceived by the serpent. Eve takes the fruit, eats it. Adam is evidently aware and consenting. He goes along with it. He doesn't stop it. He's held accountable for it. And in Adam all die. 
In that story, when Adam realized that he was a sinner, he developed a conscience and he knew that he was unclothed. And in the cool of the evening, it says that God began to call out to come to walk with him in the garden. Adam went and hid behind the brush. And that's when he tried to, you know, fake his way through. But God, of course, asked him a simple question. Who told you you were naked? He knew exactly what happened. But embedded in the story is the reality that we don't have any details about. It's the fact that God would come and fellowship with a man. And what I want you to realize is that there was a privilege in being created in the image of God. When you're created in the image of God, you have the privilege of fellowship with God. Now, the heavens declare the glory of God. The firmament shows his handiwork. The animal kingdom, the plant kingdom, the oceans... The beauty of the mountains, the forests, all ecosystems, the stars, the universe, all speaks to the glory of God. But they do not fellowship with God. God does not fellowship with stars in the sky. God does not fellowship with parakeets. God does not fellowship with oak trees. God doesn't fellowship with animals. God fellowships with people. He has relationship with people. Because in personhood versus animal life, persons have a soul and a spirit. And we have the capacity to live forever. And that's the second part, that we can have eternal life with God. Whoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Everybody's going to live forever because that's how God created us with a soul and a spirit that lives forever. If you're with Christ and your sin is forgiven and you recognize him as your savior, you've repented and confessed and forsaken your sin, you have everlasting life in heaven. If not, you'll be under the the everlasting condemnation of a holy God who cannot look at sin and condemn sinners to hell. A very real place, the Bible says. And so there is a huge distinction and a huge residual effect of being created in the image of God. Let's just review where we've been. We're patterned after God himself. That's his image. We have personhood. We're not animals. We are positioned above all the earth and we are to conquer and rule. We're to populate and fill the earth. It's our earth to use. We have a power even to eat animals, to kill them and eat them. Never a human being. We have a great privilege that we can fellowship with God and that we can spend eternity with God. Animals will not spend eternity with God. Let's just break the news here once and for all because I'm getting a little grouchy and hungry. Okay? Your dog will not be in heaven. There, I said it. All right? Now, I know you love your dog. I used to, Pastor Van, you don't understand. My dog can talk. Well, I had a neighbor whose dog, Mrs. Simon had a little chihuahua that was so old, its teeth were growing crooked, and she would hold a little old, the dog's name was Lucky. She loved her dog. She could get her dog to talk, I want ice cream, and whatever she could get it to say. I kind of hated that dog, but... The ice cream man would come by and the bell would ring and she'd get an ice cream cone. She'd get an ice cream cone for Lucky and her to share. They would lick their ice. She loved her dog. She wanted her dog to go to heaven. Okay, I'm not against loving your dog. I'm not against you. You don't want you to leave my church over this. But people always want to know, will my dog be in heaven? Your dog will not be in heaven. 
Ecclesiastes chapter 3. I'm still kind of mad about New York. That's why I'm willing to talk like this right now. We might be putting a beeline together after all. I don't know. You know, it's the distinction of the image of God. I want you to love your animal and enjoy your puppy. Ecclesiastes says that once it's dead, it's dead. It has no soul or spirit. It cannot fellowship with God. It cannot have everlasting life. It's just dead. It's gone. It lived. It served its purpose, purpose, and it's over. And that is the distinct difference. And that is why when the legislatures on the floor of the New York House Senate determined to kill babies, it really matters because they're killing humans who are created in the image of God, who are patterned after him, who are given specific mandates, and who have the privilege of fellowship with him and everlasting life. And they're, and they're snuffing out that which is sacred. That baby lives forever. So let's quickly, um, not only have I practiced running long for 33 years, but I've practiced already two times this morning going long. Um, and let me just wrap up these lines. It's getting worse, not better today. Um, so we've talked about this biblical foundation for the uniqueness of humanity, I want very quickly, and I assure you, we're almost done. I want us to make application now to our culture. I want us to just take that final step before we leave, and let's apply it to where we're living in our culture today, okay? So what is the cultural application of human distinctiveness? How does that apply to my life today? If humans are absolutely distinct, and we are, culturally, what's the application Well, it means that being created in the image of God does what? Now that I know I'm created in the image of God, and for these reasons and more, A, it informs us as to the value and dignity of all humanity. So when I look around, or if I'm going to vote at the state house somewhere, I recognize that I'm voting on something that is very sacred. There's human, there's a dignity and a value to all humanity, and so therefore it destroys, number one, all racism. There is absolutely no way that racism is ever tolerable. Why? There's one reason why. He said, well, I just don't like that guy. I don't care whether you like him or not. He's created in the image of God. And therefore, we are all equally created in the image of God. So even if you're aboriginal in, the, in Australia and guys used to hunt them and stuff them, and I understand the Smithsonian Institute still owns several hundred mummified aboriginal people that were hunted down and shipped over not that long ago for study. You can't do that. You can go to Colorado and kill an elk and mount it and put it on the wall. You don't mount an aboriginal and put it on the wall because it's created in the image of God. And so all races are equal. There is no such thing as racism. And of all places where there should be no such thing as racism, it's the church. Secondly, it denies all ability to abort, all abortion and euthanasia. And that's the point of the whole morning that it's been our focus We're not animals. We don't kill like that. It demands our compassion for broken people. Thirdly, it demands our compassion for broken people. Why do you think people give up every Friday night to go to RU to help people who are grinding through the routines of sin? And and I'm not putting anybody down. 
I commend anybody who's stuck in their sin problem who will come and join RU on Friday night and say, I need help to get unstuck from my habitual sin. That's what it's about. But why would people give up their Friday night and work RU every Friday night? It's a good night to take it easy and go out to dinner. Because those people are created in the image of God. You say, well, this is God working with an addict who's just repetitive and he's grinding through this over and over. Forget him. No, you can't forget him. He's not an animal. He's a human. He's created in the image of God. He's of equal value of anybody anywhere. So look at those homeless guys. Go get a job. Ba 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 ba. No. Those are people created in the image of God with distinct value and dignity. They don't even know they have it. Fourthly, it drives personal evangelism and world missions. It drives personal evangelism and world missions. Why do we support Tom and Heidi in Nigeria? Because people in Nigeria who haven't heard Christ matter to God because of one reason. They were created in his image. Jesus did not die on the cross for what lives in, I don't even know, a buffalo, a water buffalo that might live in Nigeria. I don't know what lives in Nigeria. He didn't die for that. He died for those people. I'll tell you something. We will never take an offering here to rescue, for example, the horses in the Chesapeake Bay. Now, if you want to rescue the horses in Chesapeake Bay, that's good. It's good. Use your own money. We will not use offering money to rescue horses in Chesapeake Bay. Why? Because in the big picture, it really doesn't matter if we rescue horses in the Chesapeake Bay. It only matters if people who can fellowship with God spend eternity with God because they have a value and a dignity because they're created in the image of God and so you don't flush them down the toilet. Secondly, being created in the in the image of God, as I apply it to my cultural view here and interfacing with the culture, it defines our understanding of biological disparity. It defines our understanding of biological disparity. I've already driven this into the ground. It's why we don't rescue chickens. Because they're animals and you can't eat them. Thirdly, it clarifies for us God's intention for gender identity. And this demands another entire message or two. I want you to notice in verse 27 that when God created man in the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them. And that when we desecrate our gender identity, we are actually attacking the image of God with which I was born. I'm telling you that to have surgery to alter your body, to believe yourself to be something other than you were born and you were only born male or female, Okay, then you can only be male or female. That's it. Don't let anybody tell you otherwise. It's, everybody knows that. Just like they know an b- unborn baby is a separate human being. It's totally fact. When they voted on the New York legislative floor to abort babies, it's equal. When you, if, it's the same thing of aborting a baby or desecrating your body. You're attacking the image of God because it is male and female that we are created. And when man was alone and there was only a male, God looked at him and he said, this is not good. And he created a female and then he said, this is very good. And so that demands another, and I don't want to say what I just said without compassion. We live in a world that is getting so confused, and we're dealing with issues that no one ever even thought about, hardly, just a few years ago. And sin is eating people up. 
But if you struggle with gender identity, you, listen, you don't fix your body to fit, to fit your mind. You fix your mind to fit your body. That's what you do. And, and, and that's because we're created in the image of God. Your body is sacred. That's why we don't do all kinds of other things to our body. But we must conclude. So we recognize that human depravity and satanic deception is now mainstream. You understand that, right? This is not, this is not the mainstream of thought, even in quote-unquote Christian America. Number two, realize that standing with conviction upon the word of God is going to cost you. It's going to cost you. You don't want to be mean-spirited. After the first service this morning, I had a guy come up to me and he said, you know, Pastor Van, if we had some guys who were attacking, you know, like with machetes or something, our children's zone back there, we who are armed would rush in there, swoop in there, and we would kill all those guys. We would take them out. How come we can't do that on the floor of the legislature in New York State? They're attacking innocent children. Why wouldn't we go take them out? Susan, you can't do that. Remember what I said earlier. Fish swim, birds fly, dogs bark, sinners sin. They didn't wake up in the morning. They didn't wake up in the morning and say, how can I be the stupidest person that ever lived? They're just doing what they thought was right, what some college professor taught them and what some author they read in a book wrote them and what sweeping through what they don't even recognize is satanic deception, how political correctness sweeps through and influences. And we must remember that Christ is our model. We have to model Christ. What did he do? He ate with tax collectors and sinners so that he could have their ear and get to their heart and save their soul because they were made in the image of God and therefore they have innate value and dignity. And that's how we have to think. We must stop. Please stand. Let's pray. And so, Father, help us bring clarity to the realities of the world around us. I do pray that you would be merciful to the legislators in New York State. They don't know what they're doing. They know not what they're doing. Would you be merciful to them? Would you allow righteous people to get to their ear and to their heart with the word? I pray, Lord, that our own state, that we would preserve life always and only. Father, would you break our hearts and like Jeremiah prayed, make our eyes fountains that would flow, crying and weeping over the daughters of our nation. Father, show us how to love those who are outside of Christ, those who do not have a biblical worldview. They're not trying to be stupid. Help us to win them and reach them with the love of Christ. It's in his name I pray and ask these things, asking your blessing as we go. Amen.